So there is a difference between living in a place and dwelling in that place. There's a difference between living in a place and dwelling in that place. So uh, ever since I moved out of my parents' house, I have lived in a bunch of places. Uh, so I moved to college, and then literally, after, like in college, every four years, I lived in a different place, right? Uh, I, I would go into the dorm room, and then they moved me to a different dorm room, and then I moved into an apartment with my brother, and then, like, it was just from one thing to the next to the next. I lived in multiple spaces, and uh, and so, you know, that was, that's like one example, and then after college, I had a one-year internship, so I'm done with college. I don't uh, live down where I was going to college anymore. More. I lived somewhere else, and so uh, I, I, I'm there. And then after I got done with that one-year internship, I moved up to, to, to Deerfield for seminary. So I, I started up there, and uh, I, I lived then in different places while I was in seminary. I had two different uh, dorm rooms that I lived in. And then after that, uh, you know, I got married, which was great. And then we lived in a place, but we knew that that place was temporary, right? So I, I stayed there for a couple of years with uh, me. Me and my wife and uh, brother-in-law and sister-in-law all lived together in the same space, and we all knew that, that couldn't last forever, right, as you can imagine. So, uh, so after that, we bought the house that we're living in now, but here's the problem. When I did all of this moving around from space to space to space to space, I got myself in this pattern of living in a place, but never dwelling in that place. Like I got myself in this pattern of, hey, there's this place that I stay and that I live, but I never actually like become a part of the space that we occupy together. So then uh, about two years ago, so this is shortly after Andrea and I started coming here, shortly after I started as pastor here, uh, Andrea and I were talking and we, you know, because the pattern in the suburbs is you buy a house and you buy, it's your starter house. Right. You have a starter house, but then eventually, like what you need to do is you need to upgrade. Right? This, is, this is what all of our acquaintances did. Like you buy a house, but then you really need to save up because that's only your starter home. This is not your forever home. Right? And then you're going to eventually move into your forever home. So even that mindset made us start going, like we don't dwell here. This just happens to be the place that we live. Well, then uh, we were talking about this and we were actually kind of like, I don't know if that's like such a good mindset, right? (laughs) Like, I don't know if we should be waiting for this thing to kind of like, maybe another house is going to come along. Maybe we're going to start, like that'll actually be our forever home. And so we decided a couple of years ago that this home, this home that we were in right now, for the foreseeable future, we don't see ourselves going anywhere else. This is the place that we're going to stay. And because we decided that, what that helped us do is to actually dwell in that place as opposed to kind of just live there and exist there temporarily. So what does this mean? Well, things changed when we started dwelling. So uh, we, we started taking greater ownership and responsibility of our space, of how other people interpret the space that we have both inside and out. Uh, we decorated our way, like our house in a way that kind of reflected we are here to stay. We started working on projects that otherwise we wouldn't have touched. I built a swing set in our yard because we knew that we were going to be there a long time. We started thinking uh, even more intentionally about the kind of message that, that even the exterior decoration of our house could send. Uh, we started getting interested, and this is a big deal, we started getting interested in what our neighbors were interested in. 
You know what? Like up to this point, I had kind of known the names of my neighbors, but I had not had much conversation or interaction with them. Uh, I had not uh, sought to really make myself known to understand who they were. But after we made this decision, like there were a series of things that happened after that that made us go, okay, we are going to like make our neighbors our neighbors and not just people that we happen to see when we drive by to the place that we live. Right, like uh, this. So, so when we after we made this decision to make this house like the place that we dwell, uh, we went to our neighborhood block party, uh, which was it's like a big deal in our neighborhood. The block party is a really, really big deal. I don't like the whole block is just waiting the entire year for this thing to come around. And so we went to it, and then this year for the first time we actually like served on our block party committee. Right, we're developing a deeper presence because we decided like we want this place to be a place that we not just live, but a place that we dwell. So we, we kind of got into deeper relationships. And it's interesting, my neighbors, we had the same neighbors for two years when we lived together in the townhouse with uh, brother-in-law and sister-in-law. And I, I couldn't have told you one of my neighbor's names. Like, no way. We, we, I know that uh, the people across the drive from us had, uh, you know, a, a two-year-old daughter, and that was pretty much it. That's all that I knew. So, so when I, I actually decided to say that, because for me, home was always the place that I came from, you know, down south, right? That, that was always home for me. So when I actually decided to say, this is home, then it kind of flipped a switch. Like we, we started making home inside of this relational network. We decided to be present with our neighbors and enjoy their presence with us. And, and we decided to a certain degree that, that actually what we were going to do is we are going to dwell in this neighborhood. So, so why talking about, about the difference between living in a place and dwelling there? Well, uh, I want to tell you, God shows himself to us as a God who dwells. God shows himself to us as a God who dwells, right? He comes to particular places, and then he, his intention is to stay in those places, like to, to kind of let his presence expand in those places. And this is really significant to notice, especially in our digital age, because you know what technology does? It takes us outside of our physical presence, Right, It lifts us up and it sends us somewhere else around the world. Now, I think technology is amazing. I think it's one of the most amazing gifts that we have, the things that we are able to do. But one of the unfortunate downsides is it takes us out of our physicality and moves us somewhere else. And, and so because of that, this is uh, God, you know, we miss this emphasis that he does seem to place on spaces, that he seems to dwell in places and spaces. So we can observe this in Exodus 25, 8 through 9. Uh, Exodus 25, 8 says, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Again, there's that word dwell. He's going to make his home in this place. And verse 9, Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. The word dwell and the word tabernacle are the same word. So we read them in English, and they're two different words, but they're the same word. God's saying, uh, I'm going to make my home here amongst this people. So when you build my home for me, this place that I'm going to dwell, make sure you follow all of these uh, kind of procedures and processes. 
So what it means for God to be with the Israelites is for him to kind of take up residence with them. Like he says, he's going to have a home. And that home is going to be with people. And he's kind of saying like, wherever these people are, like my locus, my location is with them. I want to be among them. I want to be found where they are. So, so I point this out because God does seem to value places and spaces. And I think there are three reasons for that. So God values places and spaces because number one, that's where people are. Right, so, so many of us simply dwell inside the walls of our house because kind of that's what we were learned and shaped to do. But because God's location in a place is not just about being in that place, but being in the midst of a people, like he seems to be concerned when he is in a place that, that it kind of expands outward from the four walls of that place. So, that, so let's think of it like this. Like what would happen if you thought of your neighborhood and neighbors as your dwelling place and not just your house and your family? Like what would happen if you thought of your work in the midst of your coworkers as a dwelling place and not just like a place that you happen to visit, you know, a few times each week? Like what would happen if instead of going to like 10 or 15 different places to eat, you went to like one or two places consistently and dwelled there? developed a presence there. This is how God operates, right? He goes and he picks a particular place and a particular people and he stays there. He develops a reputation and a a presence among these people. God wants relationship with people and so he decides to take up residence with them. So that's that's kind of his first reason. His second reason is this is the way that he promises security to people. So like, interesting, one of the insights of the Bible, the most common command in the Bible is do not fear. So do not fear. And do you know how God combats fear? He says, I am with you, right? Like I am going with you. So do not fear. You know why? Because you are secure because I am going with you wherever you go. So this is how he promises security. Uh, And then finally, this is how he establishes identity, Right? Like, this is how people recognize, like, who they are. Right? It's interesting even how other people, when they look at his people, it's how they recognize his people. It's because he goes with them. Right? So when they come into the, the Israelites, they come into the land of Canaan, and they're about to make this major conquest, and they, they run into this person who essentially says, everybody in the land is afraid of you because of the God who goes with you. Right? So, so this is how they stand out from other people. But, but even him saying, these are my people, it is a statement of belonging. Like when he dwells with people, he's saying, you belong to me and I belong to you. So Ezekiel 37, 27, it says this. It says, uh, God is kind of talking about the future of his people. And he's, he says, my dwelling place, the place where I make my home shall be with them. And I will be their God. Like, I will belong to them, and they shall be my people. They will belong to me. So so here's what I want us to grasp about God this morning. God's work is to dwell where people are. Like, if you are just confused, or you're trying to understand, like, what is it that God does? Like, how does he function? What is he doing in the world? Primarily, like, as we read the story of Scripture, his work is is to dwell where people are. Okay, 
So, uh, so we are starting a new series. We've been going through the book of Exodus. So if you're new with us, I'll kind of help you understand where we're at. We've been working our way through the book of Exodus, and this is kind of our last series in the book of Exodus. We're going to spend five weeks here, and this is a series called The Tabernacle. So um, as we start... We're going to do something a little bit unusual. So normally what I will do is I'll come up here, we'll you know, open up a passage, we'll walk through that passage and talk about what it means for us. But occasionally, in study of the Bible, you will run into concepts that require you to kind of take a step back and look at the bigger picture. Because if we go through the details that we're about to go through with the tabernacle, without stepping back and looking at the bigger picture, quite honestly, you might get a little bored with the details, right? Because you won't know what they mean. You won't know how they function. You won't know what the significance of them is, right? Because they're going to be talking about measurements and people building things and people giving money and all of this stuff goes together. And if we're not careful, we could get bored if we don't understand exactly what it is God is doing with this thing called the tabernacle. So like in in the gospel of Matthew, this is just an example of this. If you go into the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew starts with a very long genealogy, right? And if you, if you didn't know what Matthew was doing with that genealogy, you could start reading Matthew and get bored very quickly. But if you, if you take a step back and look at all of Scripture and look at kind of the story of Israel and where Jesus fits into that, you know that, that Matthew is kind of trying to give the bigger picture. So, so the next five weeks is going to be similar in this regard, we're going to take a step back, look at the bigger picture, but it's interesting, like one third, one whole third of the book of Exodus is devoted to talking about the tabernacle, right? So even if you were paying attention, uh, we skipped over a big chunk of Exodus because it was all instructions about the tabernacle, and we spent this little bit of time on the golden calf, and then after that, it's the execution of building the tabernacle, right? So there's a massive amount of text devoted to this. It's about how people work together uh, in in kind of building the tabernacle. It's about how it gets funded. It's about what measurements exist, what materials they need, the types of structures that need to go into it, the processes of building and supplying those materials, uh, processes of sacrificing and cleansing once the thing is built. And if you go into all of this without a bigger understanding of how it fits, you could get bored. So If you go into it, though, with a bigger picture of how God is working, that his goal, that his work in the world is to dwell where people are, then it kind of better frames the details for us. So today, my goal is to help us fit the tabernacle into the story of Scripture like just kind of how it pans out to understand uh, the details of the tabernacle in the larger story of scripture. So the way we're going to do this is we're going to do kind of a pictorial timeline. So it's so um, sometimes when I'm working on something, I will not process so well by just sitting at a computer and typing. And like I'll actually do doodles. I'll draw doodles to help me kind of understand and capitalize what this. So, so if this is meaningless for you, I'm so sorry, but I'm going to bring you into my doodling process this morning, and we're going to kind of walk through the presence of God throughout the story of scripture. So let's start all the way in the beginning. In the beginning, we have God, uh, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he, it says he created the heavens and the earth. And then, uh, you know, as we look at his kind of process of creation, he creates this place called the garden. And so, so this garden, the way it's described, the way we understand it, it's kind of like paradise, right? It is full of beauty, 
It is full of wonder, and it is made specifically uh, for people. And so what God does is he takes people, and he puts them in this garden. Right? This, and so, so he takes these people there, there and kind of they're enjoying this place. And then what's interesting beyond that is that he himself dwelled with them in that place. This place called the garden. So there's God, there's people. Okay, but so we're meant to understand when we read this story in the book of Genesis that they dwelled together, that, that God and people did life together, that they were in relationship, but ironically, Like the first place that we read that God was with them in the garden in any sort of tangible way was actually like after the people sinned against God. So, so in Genesis 3, 6 through 8, um, God told them not to eat of a certain tree, and, and both people ate, she ate, and he ate. And then in verse 7, it says, then both their eyes were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They knew that they had done wrong, and... and And so then in verse 8, it says, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. Up to this point in the story, you didn't know that that God spent time with them in the garden, but here it becomes obvious that they did. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So because of what they did, the first place we hear of God being present with people, it's people hiding from God because they're afraid of what he's going to do when they find out what they've done. So... So these people, they, they do this thing, and then there creates this divide. After that, because of their sin, the people are actually cast out of the place where God dwells, and they cannot enter back into this place. That's kind of the story that we are told. So Genesis 3.24, it says, He drove the man out. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the tree of life. So it's interesting. God casts them out and says, you can't come into this place where my presence is, but what's really interesting is as the story continues, God is still very intent on dwelling with people. Like he's, he's very intent on coming to where they are. And so he starts working to make a way to be with people. So he starts making his own people, right? How does he do this? Well, he does it by kind of, the, the, the language that we're given is that he kind of appears to people and speaks to people, and, uh, and then he is actually like physically in certain cases with people, right? So, uh, so we're told a story about Noah, and that Noah walked with God. So that's, that's interesting. Noah walked with God. God kind of somehow appears, is present with Noah, is with Noah. Noah knows God. God knows him. Right? We hear a story about a guy named Abraham. And Abraham heard God, but then he also like personally experienced a, like there was a physical person that Abraham would have conversations with, and that person was God. Right? So, so uh, God, and he gives Abraham a promise that he's going to be a nation and that there are going to be all of these blessings and uh, that he's going to have a son in his old age. And then from that son will become many. Uh, father, Abraham's going to be a father of many nations, right? And they will be a blessing to the whole world. So this is like a really strange thing. And then so after that, God appears to Abraham's son, Isaac. And, and Isaac has these interactions. And Isaac himself had sons. And one of those sons was Jacob. And God appeared to Jacob. God actually like wrestled with Jacob, right? Uh, and he appeared to him and he spoke to him, right? 
And then we're here, we, we hear about this guy named Joseph. And it's interesting, the, the story of God's presence with specific people, it becomes really clear with Joseph because everywhere Joseph goes, there are all of these kind of issues that he could face, all of these struggles that he's in the middle of. And every time it says, but God was with Joseph. But God was with Joseph. But God was with Joseph to remind that God is like finding a way to be with people. So he appears to these people. He gives them promises. He calls them out. But what's interesting is that this kind of random appearances to various people, this is not God's goal. Like his, his goal is not to kind of randomly appear to various people. We know that it's not random as the story of scripture goes. But that he's actually like working to dwell where people are. That's the thing that he's trying to accomplish. So, so from the story of Joseph, we go through the Exodus story. And uh, we see what God does through Egypt to draw his people out of the land of Egypt. And now God is going to take his next big step in the way that he is with people. For what it's worth, God does not stop doing this. He still appears to specific people and still relates to them, still is said to be with those people, but now he's going to do something new. He's going to do this thing called the tabernacle. The tabernacle has walls and structure and furniture. It is God's home. It is the place where God is coming to dwell. And it is the place where it can be said, when God comes to the tabernacle, he is in the midst of his people. He is among the people. But remember, so if we remember back to the garden, right? Sin created a divide. God said, you can't come into the place where my presence is. So with this tabernacle, yes, he is uniquely among the people, but there still has to be separation. So so what happens is that a mediator interacts with God. A mediator comes and performs sacrifices and approaches God and receives direction. And then eventually what happens is that a, a temple gets built in Jerusalem and then the tabernacle moves into that temple, but it's the same thing. You still have a mediator who has to approach God on behalf of the people, talk to God, kind of relate to God, then go back to the people, talk to them. And uh, there's kind of this whole process where the people still, even though God is in the midst of them, he's not actually with them, right? So it can't be said that like every single person in Israel is with God, but but it can be said that God is in the midst of the people of Israel. So eventually, what's interesting is that the people of Israel choose to follow after false gods and do all sorts of horrendous things, including neglecting the vulnerable among them. Uh, they, They kind of abuse everything that God had told them not to abuse. They engage in deeper and deeper and deeper sins. So So what happens is that God eventually leaves the temple. God leaves them. God says, okay, I've already created separation, but your sin is so heinous and so wrong that I actually have to leave this place. I cannot continue to exist with it. So in Ezekiel 10, 18 and 19, it says, the glory of the Lord went out from the threshold of the house and stood over the cherubim. And the cherubim lifted their wings and mounted up from the earth before my eyes as they went out with the wheels behind them. What all of this symbolizes is that God is not going to stay with his people anymore. He is going to leave. But then, interesting, like we never hear of God returning in scripture except for promises about a Messiah whose name would be Emmanuel, God with us. So then Christ comes. God in the flesh. And he is 
with people. He, he walks and he relates and he talks and he interacts and he heals and he casts out demons and he frees people from oppression and he uh, kind of rids people of blindness and deafness and uh, lame people are standing up and walking and he tells them about the kingdom of God and teaches them about the things that God has been doing throughout history. And so God, uh, Jesus, he comes and he is with people, God with us and people see God in the flesh, in the face. This is the image of God himself right here and then Jesus dies God with us dies as a sacrifice for sin and what this does when he goes to the cross is it obliterates the power of sin so when Jesus gets sacrificed on the cross, everything that would have kept believers in Jesus out of God's presence gets destroyed. It gets covered. It gets taken care of so that when God looks at us, it is not as though we, are, we have all of the sin preventing us from being in his presence, but Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient to give us space. So when he actually gives up his last breath on the cross, the veil that stood over the tabernacle gets ripped in two to show us that his sacrifice was powerful enough to cover the sin that was keeping us from his presence. And then, Jesus doesn't stay dead. But he rises from death. He comes out of the tomb. The stone gets rolled away. And then from that place, he appears to people and he speaks to them. He he had this moment, even with his disciples, where he talks about something new that God is going to do with his presence. So in Acts 1.8, he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He's saying, you know what? The Holy Spirit is come. God, the Holy Spirit is going to come and take up residence in you. He's going to dwell in you. And then you are going to go out with his dwelling, with his empowering. And you are going to go and tell people about who I am. You're going to go show them in the way that you serve them who I am. He's called the helper. The presence of the living God coming to dwell in people. And so then after Jesus gives that promise, he ascends. He goes up into heaven and uh, goes where his father is. And a few days later, after he ascends, the disciples are together and they are praying because they know Jesus has given this promise about the Holy Spirit that's going to come. And so they're together. And then what happens? But the Holy Spirit himself comes and empowers every believer in Jesus in that place to do what Jesus said he was going to do. So those people from that place go and share the message about Jesus and serve people, right? So, so the presence of God now is not in, a, in a, like a house, so to speak. It's not inside four walls, but it's inside and among specific people. And those people with the power of God inside of them go and they kind of carry that presence of God out with them. And as they serve and as they proclaim the message about Jesus, people believe. 
And as those people believe, the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence inside of those people. And then those people are kind of empowered and they have the living God inside of them. And then they go out and they tell more people. And then those people, the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of them. And then those people go out and they tell more people about it. And it keeps going and going and going. And this is where we are right now. Right? This, is, this is what we get to participate in. This is like an amazing time, just as the expanse of history, as the, the expanse of scripture and what God has been doing, God is now expanding his presence in the world through his people. So it's no accident that the church is called the body of Christ in scripture. Because what is a body except a thing with which you are present in a space at a particular time. And, and when scripture uses the word, the body of Christ, it's essentially saying you are together as you work together and uh, do life together and share together in this thing called the gospel. You are the body of Christ. You are Christ's presence in the world. The presence of the living God. Like by the Holy Spirit, we as a people are the location of the presence of God in the world. Like, this is the work that God has done. He comes and lives inside every believer in Jesus. So he gives us insight to be able to speak directly to him. And he gives us the people uh, among whom we have gifts that we share in together. And we use those gifts to speak to one another and lift one another up. Right? We use those gifts. We get sent out with those gifts and, and a message that we might serve those around us and we might show them who Jesus is. Right? And this is the thing that we get to participate in. This is the presence of God in the world. And then the next thing we wait for is this, because the world is still broken. Right? Like there are still people in this world separated from God. And what we know is that there's a day coming when Jesus is coming back to make everything new and everything right. And he makes this place called the new heavens and the new earth. And so the last thing, the last kind of new thing that God is doing is this. This uh, new place, this new heavens and new earth, this is where God dwells with and relates directly to his people. So God is spoken up. Like this is the ultimate hope of what the garden was. This is where creation stands at the end, end of God's work. God is with his people. Right? This is where God dwells and relates with his people. So Revelation 21, 3 and 4 says it like this. It says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is the timeline the Bible gives us of God's work to dwell with us. So my job is I have to help us 
anytime we are working through the Bible, I have to help bridge, uh, build a bridge between where we are right now and what's going on in Scripture. So for us, I have to kind of help build a bridge from where we are as the body of Christ to, to this thing called the tabernacle. Like, what does the tabernacle show us about what it means to be the body of Christ right now? So, so what we're going to do is we're actually going to zoom in on the tabernacle, and then we'll, uh, after that, we, we'll talk about some so what's. So this tabernacle is where we see God kind of taking his first significant step since he was with Adam and Eve, taking his first significant step to be with people. So as we start walking into kind of these next five weeks, I want to give us an overview of things to watch for. So over the course of the next four weeks from here, these will be things kind of to keep your eyes attuned to, to keep your awareness attuned to. So four things the tabernacle shows us about God. Number one, God highly values being with people. Right, so this this means something specific for you. This means that God is like, not complaining about calling you his child. God is not utterly so frustrated that he can barely stand to be with you every time that you mess up. Right? God places enormous value on you. So much value that he paid an incredibly great cost that he might be able to be with you. Right? So, so part of what we need to do as we look at God's presence with people is we need to learn to value what God values. That he wants to be with us and that he wants to be with others. Right? So God highly values being with people. Number two, God comes where we are, crossing gaps we create. And in our normal ways of thinking about religion, we say, what do I have to do to get to the divine, to get to God, to get to uh, success, to get whatever it might be? Like, what do I have to do? What lines do I have to cross? And the whole point of the story of scripture is uh, every gap we create, every line that we cross, we actually don't have the ability to cross back over it. We creep We keep creating holes that we would fall into if we tried to get back there. And so what the story of scripture tells us is that we have a God who crosses all of those gaps to come to where we are. So that even in the new heavens and the new earth, it is not a story of us going somewhere to be with God, but a story of a God who comes and dwells where people are. So uh, that's number two. Number three. Even with grace, sin is serious. So uh, you know, we just watched what happened with the golden calf. We went through this story where uh, the people of Israel were at the foot of the mountain. They, wor- they built and worshipped a God that God told them could not be God for them, but they built and worshipped it anyway just after God had been gracious to them and had given them his law. And, uh, and so... In the midst of all of that, yes, God has justice there, but, but at the same time, he is incredibly gracious with them, right? But even with grace, there are still markers to say that sin is serious, right? There will be an intricate system of sacrifice and atonement set up with the tabernacle, right? There will have to be blood that is paid with animals and sacrifices. There will be very strict processes and procedures that people have to follow. And all of this is to show that 
yes, while God continues to work, to dwell where we are, he still can have no part with sin. Like sin still creates separation and it needs to be dealt with. Uh, So the fourth thing that this shows us, that the tabernacle shows us, is that when we work with God, our focus is his. Right? Like this gives us actually special attention to purpose. Right? Like if we know that God's work is to dwell with people, how does that shape and form the ways that we work together with God in the world? Like if, if we recognize that what God is trying to do is kind of increase the influence of his presence in a place, well, then that means that like our work is actually, as God is present in us and, and among us as the body of Christ, and we get sent out from that, this place, we actually carry the presence of God into the places and spaces that we go. So, so, It's what, like Israel, it's what they're going to work together for. It's what we work together for. Like when we come together, we worship absolutely. But then we're like, we're going out into Sycamore Trails and then we're going over uh, into Horizon and we're finding ways to seek to make God's presence and influence more significant. We're actually seeking that God would dwell in those places as we carry it with us. And when you go into your workplace and you say, what does it mean for me to like dwell in my workplace or dwell not just in a house, but in a neighborhood, you're not asking that question just for you you're asking it for what does it mean for God to dwell in this neighborhood what does it mean for God to dwell in this workplace as he is seeking to make his presence manifested through me right so this is this is what Israel was going to work together for like they're going to put their energy and their resources, and their time into the building of this tabernacle. And it, again, it takes up one-third of the book of Exodus, right? So like one-third is like slavery in Egypt, and one-third is like walking through the desert and getting the law, and then the last third is like, it's all about the tabernacle, right? This thing that God is doing. And so all of the people, they're going to work together to build this thing. It's the thing that their energy goes to, and therefore it's the thing that we work together for. It's the thing that our energy goes to. Okay, so what? We've got three so what's this morning. Number one, God wants to make your heart his home. Will you let him? So one of the amazing things about what God does with his presence is that, yes, he, he identifies a group of people with his presence, but then he does something really interesting because he comes and lives in individuals. He's not just with a people, although there is something specific about that people being gathered together. He is, like, takes up residence in you and in I as we believe in him, right? And so what that means is that he is increasingly, there's a little pamphlet or book, very tiny book that has made its way around called uh, My Heart, Christ's Home, right? And it tells a story of how our hearts are just like we have these different rooms and compartments and staircases and other rooms and kitchens like all of these pieces of the house and how uh, Christ is kind of working himself through those different uh, rooms in the house of our heart in this home he's seeking to to make space to dwell in that place so we like 
we can let him dwell in our heart, right? So we start with believing in Jesus, right? But then we build disciplines into our life that would seek to, like we use meditation and prayer on uh, small pieces of scripture to kind of let God clean our heart out to kind of rightly order, to, to kind of put processes and procedures in place in our heart that are a place where he might dwell, right? To kind of rightly make those things. So Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. God wants to set the structure of your thoughts and your concerns. God wants to kind of rebuild the furniture and rewire the electrical signals and have a place with you. So engage with prayer. Read scripture. Ask God, like, what, what, what do you want to do today? As you dwell in this place of my heart, what are you kind of redoing? What do you want to remodel? Um, so, you know, we have tools for this, like prayer, Bible study, devotions, fasting, meditating on scripture, silence and solitude, Christian communities. Uh, yeah, I could list, and the list could go on. Uh, I'm not going to get to how we specifically practice those things. I just want to simply say that these tools are tools in a chest that God has given us in order to help make his home with us. So start using the tools. And if you need like help or structure or process, like come talk to me, talk to uh, Pastor Don, talk to any leader that you know in the church. We are, like any of us, uh, Bible study leaders, uh, pastors, we are excited to be able to help people start to implement those tools into their lives. So, so come and talk to us. Uh, so what, number two? God wants to make not just your heart his home, but he wants to make your spaces his home. Will you let him? So we asked questions about this earlier, like what if you started dwelling, not just in a home, but in a neighborhood? What if you actually like thought of your work as a dwelling place and not just a place that you went? And then you do all of that with an awareness that as you dwell, God is seeking to make a dwelling place there. Right? God goes with you where you go. So you, you carry into all of those places uh, your service, the way that he's gifted you, the way that he's wired to you, like to be able to relate to people. But then on top of that, you carry with yourself a message about who he is. Right? And as you carry these things, you carry his presence. And then you pray. So as I go to Starbucks, it's something I... I don't work at the church. I work at Starbucks. Many people know this. I, I go and I spend a lot of time sitting down in Starbucks and, you know, preparing my sermon, working on, you know, answering emails, that kind of stuff. And what I'm doing there, though, is not like working at Starbucks. I'm seeking that God would make his dwelling place there in that place in some way. That, like, as I relate to and get the opportunity to speak with and build uh, stronger and deeper relationships with the people who work there, uh, that opportunity would be opened for a, a message to come across or a spiritual conversation to be had for me to tell my story or maybe even just for me to invite those people to my home, right? I'm seeking to see God's presence expand and his influence expand in that place. And so think of the places and spaces that you go, not just as like places that you exist so that your mind can be somewhere else and your heart can be somewhere else, but think about how does God want to make this space his dwelling place? Number three, this is good news. God has made the people of ABC his home. This church, this thing that we are a part of, every, every local church, but we're here, so we're going to talk about this church. 
this is the place where God resides. God is here among us. God, like what Christ has accomplished in his death and resurrection has kind of leveled the playing field. No person greater than another person. We all had to, the the, the same price had to be paid for all of us and we all kind of are leveled off and then united together in Christ, given gifts to support and, 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 and love and care for one another. And as people come in among us, our hope is that they would see that God dwells here among us. That they would experience the, the presence of God, not some in kind of like touchy-feely ethereal way, but in like the kindness of a gesture extended to them, right? Somebody who would serve them, who would love them, who, or who would engage them in conversation, like ask them questions about them. That's like such a weird thing. Nobody does anymore, but like you could talk to a person and just like be genuinely interested in them, right? Like the hope is that And the truth is that here in this place is a place where God dwells. And that's why we don't just like send individuals out, but we go out in groups and to schools and into neighborhoods and invite even people to our property so that we can have a splash event and uh, not have to worry about putting any sort of like religious uh, pieces together or creating some sort of a worship service, but we can just be because we know that we we are just in a place. God is there with us. And we can extend his presence to other people. So Ephesians 2, 19 and 22, and this is what I'll end with this morning. It says this. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you together are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation. This is language of the temple, by the way. He's saying you are a temple built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Would you pray with me, please? God, as we spend these next several weeks examining your work to dwell with people, May we not ambivalently kind of relate to this. Just as some, uh, another study through the Bible, another uh, series of words that we're just trying to understand more about who you are. May you actually take this and use it to move us. Lord, to participate with you in the work that you want to do. To be those who... Uh, learn to gladly receive your presence more and more, to be those who would uh, willingly have our hearts open to you kind of reworking the furniture and redecorating and cleaning out that closet that we have things hoarded in. Or that we would let you take up residence in our heart and, and that we would enjoy your presence among one another and that we would participate with you as you seek to make your presence uh, dwell more and more significantly in Bartlett and in the surrounding areas. God, thank you for this gift that you have given us of your presence. Thank you for sharing it with us and showing us how we can participate in it. God, we ask that you would help us to take steps in these directions or that you would help us to see really clearly the ways that you want to work in our workplaces and in our homes, and in our neighborhoods, and in this church.
pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.